Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly, and I am back today to share another missing persons case with you all. For those that are new to the podcast, first off, welcome. Missing Mondays is a segment that was created to help keep missing persons name and information in the media the best we can and to hopefully help aid in their return home. 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. at any given time, and while some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. Today's case is one that is from 1998, and her family is still actively searching for answers. Someone knows something, and it just takes one person to come forward with that information. Many times these families feel forgotten when their cases go unsolved for so long. It is part of our mission here at Crimeaholics not only to share these cases, but to show these families that their loved ones are not forgotten. Their loved ones matter to us and to our listeners, and we will do whatever we can to help keep their memory and name alive and to share as much as we can until they are brought home. Many of these missing persons cases also have families that believe that their loved one is no longer with us, and that is to be true with this case as well. And one of the questions I get asked on TikTok when I share a missing person is, why are you sharing if you know they're dead? And I absolutely hate that question. Just because someone is assumed to be deceased doesn't mean that they don't deserve to be searched for so that they could be brought home and properly laid to rest. Not to mention, these families deserve to know what happened to their loved ones. I couldn't imagine having my husband or one of my children go missing with absolutely zero answers. The unknown would literally eat me alive. Also, as we know, with a lot of missing persons cases, sometimes the information is just so limited and very sparse. But once more here at Crimeaholics, we feel that no matter how much or how little information is out there on these cases, they're all equally important to share. They all equally deserve their own spotlight. All right, so without further ado, let's get into the details of this case. Today's Missing Monday is on the disappearance and assumed murder of Amber Wilde. Amber Wilde was born on March 26, 1979, and she was raised by her father, Steve Wilde, alongside her little sister. Steve said that his daughter was a very conscientious little girl. She was always worried about things within the home and would ask her dad if he made sure that he paid the rent and other things of that nature. She was very loving and overall an incredible kid and big sister. Amber was always very driven, and anything that she wanted to accomplish, she would set her mind to it and accomplish it, no matter what it was. She grew into a young woman who had big dreams of becoming a doctor, but more specifically, a pediatrician. She loved kids and always did amazing with them. 
At the time of her disappearance, Amber was pursuing those dreams by attending the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. She was in her junior year where she was taking pre-med courses. One thing that Amber did for herself was she was an avid writer. She wrote in her journal every single day, detailing her days, who she spoke with, who she saw, what her feelings were in life, and so on. She would also write about some of her most private things. On September 23rd, 1998, Amber wrote in her journal in the morning before heading off to her college classes for the day. While on the way, Amber was in a car accident where she had rear-ended another vehicle. Amber and the other driver pulled over, they exchanged information, and they made arrangements to talk later that day. The damage to the cars was very minimal, and it wasn't a crazy hard crash, but Amber did hit her head on the windshield. When she arrived on campus, Amber went straight to the medical staff at the school, where they evaluated her and concluded that she most likely had a concussion. They told her that she needed to have someone just kind of keep an eye on her, whether it be they check in with her in person or by phone calls, but she just needed to make sure that someone just kind of made sure that she was okay the rest of the day. Amber called her dad and told him what had happened, and throughout the rest of the day, he would speak to her multiple times. During these conversations, he said that his daughter was in good spirits, but he said that she did have an extremely bad headache from the crash. And she had asked her dad to call her the following morning to make sure that she had woken up for her classes. When the morning came and she didn't answer, Steve was immediately concerned. Her father recalls having these racing thoughts that something terrible had happened. Steve had a spare key for her apartment, so he went straight over there to let himself in and see if his daughter was okay. Inside, he found nothing out of the ordinary. There didn't appear to be anything out of place, nothing seemed to be missing, and there were zero signs of any kind of struggle. Also notably gone was his daughter. Steve, however, did notice that her car was not at the apartment complex either. And for some, that may just mean that she had went to go somewhere or had left town. After all, she was 19 years old, and as an adult, she doesn't have to report in to anyone. But Steve knew in his heart that something wasn't right. So he called the Green Bay Police Department. And I have to say that I really admire how the police department handled this. I feel like a lot of police departments would have brushed Steve off and assumed that he was just an overreacting father, but they took his concerns very seriously and understood that this was completely unlike Amber, and she wasn't one to not be in touch with her father. Their relationship was very close. So they felt early on that there was someone else who was most likely responsible for Amber's absence. A few days after she was reported missing, the police got the first break in the case. Amber's car was located across the street from Lambeau Field, where the Green Bay Packers play football. Amber's car was found unlocked, parked outside of a bar, with the keys still in the ignition. 
they found her cell phone on the passenger seat, still plugged into the charger that was connected to the cigarette lighter. And they also found her purse in the trunk of the car. When they questioned people around this area, nobody had claimed to see anything, nor did they recall seeing Amber. The investigators started to wonder if maybe the crash and possible concussion could have given Amber amnesia and that she was wandering somewhere unaware of who she was or where she was. But when Steve got the news about his daughter's car being found, he learned that the driver's seat had been pushed all the way back when the authorities examined it. He told them that there was no way that his daughter could have driven her car that way. Amber was one to always have the seat pushed as close to the steering wheel as possible because she was only five foot two. Another thing that was puzzling to authorities and Amber's father was the amount of miles that had been put on the car. Two days prior to going missing, Amber had had her car serviced. And as most everyone knows, when they do this, they read the odometer so that they can note when the next time the car needed to come in. When Amber's car was found near Lambeau Field, there was about 900 new unexplained miles that had been put on the car. While investigating this case, the authorities turned to Amber's journal to see if they can find any kind of information in it about anyone who was a known enemy to her, anyone who may want to harm her. But instead, they learned that Amber was four months pregnant. This pregnancy was something that her family was aware of. Amber's Aunt Lori says that she was the first person that Amber had told that she was pregnant. After telling her aunt, she then told the rest of the family. She told them that it was an accidental pregnancy, and it was the furthest thing from planned, but she was going to keep the baby. After learning about the baby, Amber continued her pre-med studies and began planning her future and what it held for herself and her baby. She began planning names for the baby, and she had a lot of support from her family. Though it was an unplanned pregnancy, if anyone was going to handle this kind of hurdle in life, Amber would have been the one to do it. She was just that kind of woman. She handled anything that life threw at her. But there was one individual who was not supportive of this pregnancy, and that was the man who Amber claimed was the father. And his name was Matthew Snyder. Matthew Snyder was a guy that Amber had met at a party one evening in May of 1998. He was a 21-year-old highway construction worker who had caught her eye and things between them heated up quickly. Matthew Snyder was also 6 foot 5 and keep in mind that Amber's driver's seat had been pushed all the way back. And to police, this had been done to accommodate a much taller driver. Amber confided in her Aunt Lori about the fact that Matthew was very upset over this baby. 
She talked about how things were very hot and heavy and passionate between the two until Amber ended up pregnant. Amber tried to keep her chin up despite him not wanting her to continue the pregnancy. She still wanted the baby to know its father. She continued to try and get Matthew to be a part of it all, but he kept refusing. Matthew had even asked Amber to get an abortion, but obviously she wasn't going to do that. And no matter what, she was going to have that baby with or without Matthew's help. The more they read her diary, the more they learned about her relationship with Matthew Schneider. They also learned of her last conversations with Matthew. In her journal, Amber wrote that Matthew was giving her ultimatums and making threats about either harming himself or that she would never see the baby again. The authorities felt like this pregnancy was a possible motive for Matthew Schneider to murder Amber. They also learned that Matthew was engaged to be married and that he had been cheating on his fiance with Amber. So one more reason as to why Matthew may have wanted Amber gone. In her journal, Amber wrote in depth about how Matthew wouldn't tell his fiance about the baby. He absolutely refused. So Amber took it upon herself and made contact with his fiance Heidi to tell her herself. And she also mailed a letter to Matthew's mother exposing his secrets about her pregnancy. And Matthew, according to what Amber wrote, was livid. With this information in hand, the authorities hunted Matthew down, and when they spoke to him, they were surprised that he completely denied ever having a sexual relationship with Amber. Matt told the detectives that he met Amber at a local restaurant, and after meeting her, he probably only ever talked to her two times. When the cops questioned Matthew's fiance Heidi, she claimed that Amber was weirdly obsessed with Matt, and she was making up all of these lies and rumors about him. She said that there was no way that Amber and Matt could have ever had a sexual relationship, and that Amber was infatuated with Matt, and that she was constantly harassing him and making these false claims. Now, these journal entries have never been publicly released, but authorities did allow some journalists to review some of these entries, and they state that Amber was very detailed and graphic about her sexual encounters with Matthew, and this was more than a one-night stand. This was very much a real-life relationship that Amber was in with this guy. With him denying being involved with Amber, him denying Amber carrying his baby, and Amber's diaries saying something completely different, the investigators found Amber's doctor that she had been seen, and they confirmed that she was indeed pregnant and was about four and a half months along. They also were able to obtain ultrasound pictures of Amber's baby. The authorities were able to obtain Matthew Schneider's phone records, and they confronted him with them. Matthew Schneider initially stated that he had only spoke to Amber maybe twice after he met her. But the phone records paint a very different story. Between the time that Amber and Matt had first met, 
To the time that Amber went missing, she and Matt had spoken on the telephone at least 60 times. The authorities also cross-referenced those phone calls to the dates in Amber's diary and figured that many of those phone conversations were about Amber being pregnant. Despite all of this information, Matthew continued to deny any involvement with Amber or her disappearance. And even though they had this cell phone records that they felt constituted evidence of first-degree intentional homicide, he has gone free for over 24 years. Matthew has denied to cooperate with police. He has refused to take a polygraph test, and any time a reporter or journalist approach him with questions, he refuses to speak about Amber. What has always been troubling for her family and investigators is his lack of concern about her being a missing person. And if he was truly innocent, everyone believes that he would have shown some sort of concern because at the end of the day, this is a person that he had conversed with at least 60 times. Whether it was what Amber said it was, he still communicated with her and it was someone that he knew. In 2016, Matthew Schneider was publicly named a person of interest in her disappearance, and her family and investigators strongly believe it's a possibility that Amber and her unborn child were buried under Highway 29. If you remember, I said earlier that Matthew Schneider was a highway construction worker, and at the time that Amber went missing, Highway 29 was being built and Matthew Schneider was part of the crew that helped build it. He had access to all the equipment. He had access to areas that were off-limits to regular people. Could he have had access to the perfect opportunity to dispose of her and his unborn child? Amber had refused to abort the baby, and he refused to tell his fiance it was his. He had his fiance convinced that it wasn't, and that Amber was just a crazy stalker. And if Amber had that baby, his fiance would find out the truth. Court documents reveal that there have been extensive digging done alongside Highway 29 as well as on the Schneider family farm, and still no sign of Amber. Matthew Schneider has now since married that fiance and is living his life like nothing happened 24 years ago. But the authorities believe he is responsible. It's just a matter of getting enough evidence to prove it. Which likely just means that someone who may know something needs to come forward or Amber needs to be found. On top of the Green Bay Police Department working this cold case, the FBI is also involved in helping find answers for Amber's family. At the time of her disappearance on September 23, 1998, Amber Wilde was 19 years old. If she is still alive today, she would now be 43 years old. In 1998, Amber was 5'2 and weighed 135 pounds. She had eight small gold hoop earrings in each ear and had brown hair and brown eyes. Amber was four months pregnant at the time of her disappearance and had a slight head injury after the car accident on the day that she was last seen. 
If you have any information about Amber from that day or you know where she is, you can contact the Green Bay Area tip line at 920-432-7867. Crimeaholics, unfortunately, that is all the information that I have on Amber's case. I do want to take a second and just remind everybody that you are innocent until proven guilty. Though authorities and Amber's family believe that Matthew Schneider was involved, he is innocent until proven guilty. If you are not already a part of our private Facebook group, you can join it by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group. In there, we share all pictures and information pertaining to the cases that we cover, and we also encourage all of our members to share all things true crime. Also, make sure you follow us on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast. And if you'd like more true crime content, you can follow me over on TikTok at the same username of crimeaholics.podcast. Lastly, if you'd like to keep up with me personally and what I'm doing in life, you can follow me on Instagram at crimeaholly. Crimeaholics, that is all for this week's Missing Monday. I will be back on Friday with another episode. Until then, be aware and take care.